message this morning deals with leadership. And you don't know how tempting it was to put the image of two in particular leaders on this screen. And then let one of those images just grow bigger and bigger until it, well, just hides the other. One would be wearing one shade of blue, the other another. It was very tempting. Because the point I want to make as we start is the way leaders go is the way the team goes. And it just so happens last night we saw which leader is the winner. But I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But we are talking about leadership. We are talking about leadership. you got to understand, I just wondered how this morning, how much farther I wanted to go. But i got Trudy right here, and Trudy's not happy this morning. She almost didn't, she almost didn't even play the piano. So, um, so let's jump in. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to see uh, Peter take a turn to leadership. 1 Peter chapter 5, to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way you were younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So here's this turn to leadership. After a, a long section of the letter where Peter is giving instructions to these Christians who are, who are facing unjust suffering, persecution. They're dealing with insults for being believers in Christ. And that persecution, of his, that persecution was of, a, of, of various, um, various types of persecution. But here Peter makes this turn to leadership because he knows... That if you're going to endure through unjust suffering, if you're going to walk through a life where you are receiving insults and yet you are giving back blessing, if you're going to walk that kind of life, you're going to need to have someone helping you, someone to guide you, someone to shepherd you along as you walk through that suffering. So leaders are a vital part of what, of how you and I would walk through a very difficult circumstance or season of life. We need good leaders to help guide and shepherd us. And so now he makes the turn to say something to these leaders, these elders, those that are guiding and shepherding these people. Now here's what Peter also knows. Because Peter is a student of the Scriptures. He was a student of Jesus. While, even while Jesus was on earth. He knows that there's a long history in, a long history with God's people of going astray. When the leaders go astray. So when the leaders go astray, the people go astray. Long history of this. Long list of examples. Just want to mention a few. The prophet Isaiah had this to say. 
had this to say to the people speaking the word of God. Isaiah 56, verse 10 through 11. Israel's watchmen, this is the leaders, Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Now just take a moment here to hear the echo of this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherds, they go their own way. They seek their own gain. Peter actually says, yes, you shepherds, don't do that. Don't you do that. You don't go just your own way. You don't seek dishonest gain. I wonder if this scripture was in the mind of Peter as he penned those words to these elders. Because as the leaders in Israel went, so went the people. And ultimately, they go into exile under God's judgment because their leaders went wayward and they went wayward. Malachi chapter 2, this is the last book in the, in the Old Testament. One of the last words to God's people from God, from God uh, uh, through a prophet. Here's what God has to say, Malachi 2, verse 7 through 8. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth. But you, here he speaks to the leaders, but you have turned from the way. And by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. You have caused many to stumble. God is calling the priests to account. You leaders have gone astray. You've led my people astray. And God's calling them to account. And then Jesus had a lot to say to the leaders in his own day. And remember, Peter would have been standing right there. And I think Peter remembers these moments. They were big moments. They were probably uncomfortable moments. And so as he pens this, these instructions to the leaders among these Christians, I just imagine that the echo of Jesus' teaching is right there, right there at the forefront of his mind. Matthew chapter 15, we have recorded here, verse 12 through 14. Then the disciples came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And so here you have a community of Christians who are suffering. Suffering uh, in a variety of ways. Some being persecuted. Some being uh, insulted, some not having, uh, uh, losing their jobs, not having job opportunities. There's a variety of ways this community is suffering in the workplace, in their homes. And Peter knows that if these people are going to remain faithful, their leaders have to guide them well. Because there's a long history of Israel's leaders not leading well, and it leads to Israel's judgment. And now Peter wants these leaders to make sure that they lead well so that these people who are walking through a difficult season of life, well, they are being guided well. And here's the thing about these leaders. The one of the reasons that, that they can guide and shepherd these people well, the people that Peter's writing to, is because they know these people. These shepherds actually were among the people they were shepherding. Take a look. just want to highlight a few things in the verse. First Peter, we'll just come back to the First Peter passage. He, he writes to the elders among you. These aren't elders somewhere off in another city. These are elders. These are shepherds among you. And then he also says, God's flock 
that is under your care. So you kind of stay in your lane here. God's given you a group of people to care for, you leaders. You make sure you care for them. These are people you know their name, you know their kids, you know their struggles, you know what's going on at work and at home. These are people you know. I like what one scholar says here. Just I, I, don't, I don't know why it struck me, but I thought, ah, I want to read this on Sunday morning. This one scholar says this, Peter explicitly charges elders to watch over that part of God's flock that is right in front of them, literally among you, as their charge. Good shepherds care for their flock, not for the whole world. The reason I like that is because in a world where we can be almost anywhere digitally, I've seen some church leaders care more about their social media presence than they do the people right in front of them. And I want to make sure as a church that we care for the people in our church family. And even those in our community, those that are right here, I understand there could be a lot of things going on in Raleigh, Greensboro, Chapel, whatever. And we could go there and people could like our posts. They could think we're something. But if we miss the people God has given us, we've missed it all. So here this is a this is a call not to care for not to care for everybody else, but care for the people that God has given you right where you are. And so to our elders, you have a flock right here and you make sure you care for that flock. That's what God has called us to. And here's the thing. When you care for the people that are in front of you, you actually, you actually have an opportunity then to guide them. And one way that we guide people well, this would be obviously for our elders, but it's for any of us that have people watching us. It is that when you uh, pay attention to people in front of you, where you are in your lane, you can be an example for them. One of the best ways to guide someone is to be an example. Interesting, that's exactly how Paul ends up, ends and kind of wraps up the, the, um, the exhortation here to the elders. Check out what he says, and we'll just highlight it here in the next part of the passage in verse 3. He says that you are to be an example to the flock. These are people that you know, and they know you, and therefore they're watching your life. That may be a scary thought, James. Yeah, yeah. George, yeah, F.D. and Terry, Larry, scary thought. If Macon was here, I'd say Macon. They're watching you. They watch your life and they, they imitate your life. And this is a key principle that is, that is woven into the New Testament. Really, it's woven throughout the Scriptures, but it really is highlighted in the New Testament. This, the principle of imitation. One of the best ways to grow in faith is that you watch someone that is more advanced in the kingdom and you follow their way. And Peter talks a lot about this. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about this. Let me just pull up just a few passages that talk about imitation. Would you see how important it is that the life you lead makes a big difference on how, how you are guiding and leading people? Paul says this in Philippians. He says, Philippians 3, we'll take verse 317 and we'll take 4, 9. Paul says this, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you, you, you have seen us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This is one of the more scary verses for me in the New Testament. I'm not sure I want you watching me all the time. But this is the call for every leader. You watch so you can imitate. Chapter 4, verse 9, then, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, 
put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You watch me, and you do what I do. This is not a matter of uh, do as I say, not as I do. This is a matter of you do as I do. That's a high bar for leadership. And then he says this to these young pastors, 1 Timothy uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. You set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. High bar. It's a really high bar. And then Titus. Titus uh, 2. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. In everything, set an example. Now, that's just like good leadership principle right there. Like you go off to some leadership institute and you'd be getting the same kind of teaching here. Leading by example is a very key part for any good leader. But particularly for people that are helping guide other believers in the way of faith, particularly in a time of suffering and struggle and persecution, in a time where one receives insults. We need someone to help show us how to walk through those seasons so that we can walk through it well. I'm just going to tell you, there are people in my life uh, that, that I, I can pull them to mind right now. And, and there are some, I can think of Sherry. Now, I know this is, this is not necessarily in the eldership category, but I remember when we were up in Indianapolis and I had uh, I'd gotten to know Sherry and Jeff and Sherry had uh, brain cancer and there was this one Saturday night. We had Saturday night services as well, Sunday morning. And uh, Saturday night, I sit, I, you know, I kind of just sit in the pew right in front of them asking how she's doing. And she tells me, it's now inoperable. I'm stopping chemo. The Lord's will be done. And I looked at her in that moment and I said, Sherry, I'm taking you with me wherever I go. Because if I ever get to what... To, to the point where you are now, I want to do exactly what you just did. I want to be able to look at anyone in front of me and say, let God's will be done. This is not a woman who was cowering in fear. She wasn't bemoaning her situation. This is a woman who said, I know I'm dying, but I'm going to keep walking. And I'm like, I, I, I now had a picture of what I wanted to be like one day if I faced that. And man, I could just walk you through example of example. People that have lost children. People that have lost a, a, a small child. Families, families that have gone through great tragedy. And yet, and yet when I've met them, they're still following Jesus. Let me just give you one more example. None of this was in my manuscript. There was this family, the May family. And I remember Ron, the, the husband, telling me about the day he held a six-year-old in his arms and she passed away from cancer. I knew Ron and Julie as strong believers. I never knew this story. And he told it to me, and I thought, if I ever have to bury a child, I want to, I want to walk the way Ron has walked. He's now an elder at the church I, I was at in Indianapolis. I thought, that's the kind of man that you want helping lead a church. A man that can hold his daughter, dying of cancer, to her, take her last breath, and a man who says, still, I give glory to God. That's the kind of person I want to be. And I'm telling you, I don't know, I, there's no way I have that kind of determination without looking at a Ron May. There's just no way. So praise God, now I have a man that I can go, I want that. And I could, again, we'll just keep walking down the line. I'm sure you have people in your life where you look at them and say, I want to be like that. 
We need examples. We need guides. So if you are walking through a difficult situation, you're saying, I can't do this. Good. You've come to, you've come to the right truth. You can't do this. You need people to help you. You need guides walking you through very difficult situations. That's why we're the church. Okay. Now, one of the things that a good leader will always do is they're going to give the example of humility. They're going to show you what it looks like, how to walk through suffering, not thinking you're the center of the world. We need those examples. This is one of the reasons Paul's, uh, Peter's now going to harp on humility as such a key part of how to keep walking in the midst of suffering, why the leaders need to do it, and why the leaders show the people how to do it. Check out what he says next. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. He's now going to take that principle from leaders. He's going to now push it down to everyone in the church. You clothe yourselves with humility. You have to realize you're not the center of the world. You have to realize you're not the most important thing in the world. There's two layers here, two layers. So the first thing he's going to say, so when you clothe yourself with with humility, here's the first thing right here. It comes right after humility towards one another. So like we've got to be humble with each other. This is very important because in a church, in any church, in any group of people, there's going to be infighting. People are going to get upset with other people. People are going to like other people. And people are going to hurt each other. And so we need, we need to like realize that we're not the most important person in a church family. We care for others. Now this here is a hyperlink back to a couple places uh, in the letter that Peter's, uh, that, where Peter's already talked about this. He just talked about it from just a bit of a different angle. Take a look. Chapter 1, verse 22, and then we'll pick up chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Now, Peter wrote, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you may have what? Sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. And then chapter 4, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. When we walk through suffering, we need each other. Like, I need you to not just be thinking about you. I need you to help me. And then vice versa. I need to be thinking about you and how I can help you. That's how we get through hard seasons of suffering. And sometimes those seasons of suffering, they, they, don't, go, they don't go away. They, they only end when life ends. We need each other. And therefore we act humbly. It's the, it's the, other, it's the other side of the love deeply coined. Another way you might say this is that when we are humble... We think of other people and their needs more than our own. Which is actually the classic, the most famous, maybe, definition of humility written by the Apostle Paul. Most of you might know this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul wrote, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We need that when we're walking through a a very difficult season. Don't keep me on an island. I need you. And you need me. Leaders, leaders give us, like show us what that looks like. They help us to get a vision for a community where people love each other. They take meals to each other. They write cards. They make phone calls. They send text messages. They just sit with you when you're sad. They knock on your door when you know you need someone to show up. 
that's what humility begins to look like. Leaders lead the way, but it's for all of us to put on humility. Now, the second layer of humility is this. It's, it's this. We'll highlight it here in the passage. So after he says, humble yourselves, uh, humble yourself with one another, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Okay. I'm just going to go right into what one scholar says about that right there, because, man, I think he nails it. It's this. Among other things, humility will involve bowing to God's wisdom, accepting the twists and turns of His providence, and entrusting all our concerns to Him. One, of the, one, of, uh, uh, one, one way humility works its way out, that is, our, our humility to God, that is, to humble ourselves to God, is to always remember He is sovereign. He is in control. And we are not. That He is God and we are creation. That He is all-knowing and all-good and we are definitely not. And so when bad things happen, yes, you're allowed to be frustrated. You're allowed to say bad words to God. You're allowed to take every emotion to Him. But the one thing we're not allowed to do is say, I know better. I got it under control. I'll take it from here. That's the place we are not allowed to go as believers. So we humble ourselves under God's providence, knowing that He is sovereign and good. And it's because He's good. Know that all things are done for the good of those who love Him. All of it's going to work out. Because of that, you can cast all your care on Him. Which is exactly where Peter ends it. He will highlight that last part. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now, what you remember, that is being said to a group of people, some who are, who are suffering great loss, some who have been insulted greatly, some who have lost their jobs, some who have lost family members, some who have been psychologically abused, some who have been emotionally abused in their home. Peter has just said to them, cast all your cares onto God because He cares for you. Now, that seems a bit churchy. Seems a bit irrelevant when you're suffering, but it's the exact thing the human heart needs. You have to remember, He is good, He cares, and where else are you going to throw your anxiety? That's where I'm always, I've always been left with this verse. If not God, where will you throw your anxieties? Into a liquor bottle? Well, I can tell you what that will give you. It will give you about two hours of fun and a day of hangover. That's about what that will give you. And those two hours might be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But it's going to bring you misery. And it will eventually take your life. And where are you going to throw it? You're going to throw it into opioids. You're going to throw it into pornography. You're going to throw it. I mean, just, I mean we'll just run down the, the list of vices. Where else will you throw your concerns? Throw them up on Facebook? Listen. I guarantee you, you're going to get some likes, some hearts, and some care symbols. I get it. But in 10 hours, maybe 24, depends on how the algorithm works, how good, how, how well you wrote your post, it will eventually go away. I'm not saying no post stuff. What I'm saying is, where else will you ultimately cast your concern? If not God, where? I mean, just think about this as a logical question. I'm not, this isn't like a gotcha, a trick question. It's not even supposed to be a religious question. It's just, where else would you go? He cares. And our leaders help guide us in this direction. We follow their lead 
We walk through our suffering and we remain faithful. And in the end, we endure, we do good, and we trust God along the way. All right. Let's make some application. I really only have one application point with lots of sub-things. All right. Here you go. Here's what I think the big application is for us. Like, right here on the ground, church membership matters. Going a little old school with this word membership here. What I mean is to be involved with a group of Christians. Okay? That's what I'm, what I'm trying to get at. All right. So, I've tried to say this many different ways. So, come with me through all the tunnels, twists, and turns of my mind as I write a sermon. Here's one way I would try to say it. Here you go. You can't follow Jesus only in the digital cloud. Okay? All right. I'm like, George, do you even live in the digital cloud? I mean, I don't even know, George. Okay, all right. Uh, You can't grow spiritually in a quarantine bubble. YouTube and Facebook aren't enough for spiritual growth. We need real, in-the-flesh Christian examples to follow. We need to be known in order to grow spiritually. What I'm trying to get at here, and i got another slide coming up. Don't put it up yet. Or I'm going to make another stab at it. But at this point, I want you where, where my mind is, is in a world where we can access any information we want, go interact however we want, it, and particularly coming out of a COVID situation, it becomes really easy to think that, that doing Christianity, following Jesus, is just a matter of, of living somewhere out in the cloud. Like, I don't need people in my life. Like, I at least don't need Christian people. I mean, I can have friends, but in the end, I don't, know, I don't need much commitment. I can just listen to podcasts, listen to online sermons. I can watch an online sermon, but I really don't need to be around people. It doesn't work that way. Now, at this point, I'm going to have to say this. I know there are people watching right now that, that they're not in a position to make it to church every Sunday. I know that some of you have jobs where it's not easy to get to church every Sunday. And you actually can't because you're working. I I know we take vacations. My point here is not perfect attendance. The point here is being around real, in the flesh, uh, around uh, real, in the flesh Christians. We have to do that. Because if we do not, we have this idea that if we just gather enough information, then we got it. You can't do that. Because part of following Jesus is having people who know you. They know you. They know your situation. And it doesn't matter how many comments you throw up on a Facebook post or an Instagram post or how many TikToks you make. We're not going to get to know you. Not going to get to know you. So, so we, we have to be around real people who really know us. Like you have to be able to watch your children who aren't behaving while you're preaching. You have to be able to see it in the flesh. You have to be able to, like, be, like in, the, in the moment, have a punishment ready to go. Like, this afternoon, you have to be right there. And don't come to me and say, but they're good kids. You don't live with them. You don't live with them. I got you on that one. Yeah, I did. Okay. 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 All right. Let me, let me say it this way. Let's try it another way. Next slide. Here we go. What I'm trying to say is that being known is important. Having accountability is important. Being under spiritual authority is important. Following Jesus is not a lone ranger endeavor. It just isn't. I need someone keeping me accountable. 
when I don't show up at church, now I know I'm the pastor, so it's really obvious. But when I don't show up, I want you to know I'm not here. And I've told you this story multiple times now. But there was a moment in in my life when I was doing my, my Ph.D. at the University of Tennessee. And I was deep into secular thinking. And we could have a whole conversation about that. But I, I really thought I had Jesus figured out. And actually, I had a one-up on Jesus because I was smarter than Jesus. And, 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 and I remember, I, I, we went to this small little church. We went there for 13 years. Uh, and, and we would go every Sunday. But while I was at UT, I really thought I was better than everyone in that church. And I really want to be there. But there were two big things that kept me going. My family. Tess wasn't going to let it happen. And I could, I wasn't, I mean, we had to get the boys there. At that point, we just had Ryan and Ethan. We had to get them to church. And there were people in that church that I respected that I didn't want to disappoint. I might have been smarter than them, but I didn't want to be on their bad side. And so I showed up. That accountability saved my faith. And God in His sovereignty used that accountability to keep me going to church every Sunday. And God knows I needed it. And I needed someone to hold me accountable. I wasn't the pastor. I could have easily not been there, but I needed someone to hold me accountable. So I was right there with an in-person, in-the-flesh group of people who knew when I wasn't there. We need to be known. We need accountability. And we need leaders who help guide us. All right. One more slide. One more slide before our next step. What about all the benefits? So we'll come at come, come it from the value-added side now. Being in a real, in-the-flesh church family provides examples for me to follow. It trains me to think of others more than myself. It makes me accountable to leaders. It gives me opportunities to receive help. I'm going to read that one again. Because how many of you like getting help? No one likes receiving help. Now, I'll take your free food, but in the end, I don't want your help because I think I got it together. When we're with real people, it gives us the opportunity to receive help. It encourages me to endure suffering. It teaches me how to do good. And it motivates me to trust God in all circumstances. We need each other. We need each other. And here's the thing. I know there are people in our church family that watch online because of multiple circumstances. What's so great is that I know those people, they're connected with most of you anyway during the week. The point here is to be in connection. Again, not perfect attendance. All right. Let's go with the next step. Here's here's where I'm going with the next step. Something you and I can do this week. Do one thing that deepens your commitment to your church family. Now, I know your church family can actually be like the building you're in, but like, in a small town, like, sometimes, like, our church families, like, it, it extends beyond, like, East 10th or, or like, New Testament Christian or First, First Christian, which, by the way, we're having a multi-worship, multi-church worship service. I'll tell you about it at the end of service with those, uh, those other churches. It, 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 there's valley and there's victory. Like, we, we have a larger group of Christians that we're a part of in our small town. The point here is make sure that this week you do something to go deeper. Like, that doesn't mean you've got to show up every night this week so that you can have, like, perfect weekly attendance. We don't got anything going on tomorrow night. Don't come to church tomorrow night. The point is that maybe you send a text message to someone this week 
in our church family. Elders, maybe you connect with someone this week you haven't connected with in a while. Maybe you commit to come next week because you haven't been coming regularly. Maybe, maybe you're like, man, I haven't talked to uh, some people in church that I really like to know how they're doing. Well, maybe you make the phone call this week. Whatever it is, just take another step in relationship with your Christian family. That's the goal here. Again, I'm not, this isn't a matter of being legalistic. It's a matter of going deeper so that you are known and that you know people. Because we need each other. We need each other. Okay. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit now do whatever He wants with all of that. And let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It challenges us. And thanks for all the leaders in each of our lives that has helped us that have helped give us an example to follow, to be humble, to humble ourselves with each other, to humble ourselves to you. And whatever our care is, whatever care, I'm sure we're carrying a lot of anxiety for different reasons, we throw it onto you. And we know in the end you care for us, you will exalt us, all to the glory of Christ. So we have that hope. We do pray for our leaders here at East 10th. We pray for our, our shepherds across this town and all the church, all the churches. Would you strengthen them to be great leaders, great guides for their flocks and help them how they need help. We pray that all in the name of Him who is the chief shepherd, Jesus the Christ. Amen.